Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. You have tuned into Basadi, Black Women in Conversation. In this episode, we will be speaking to Ayanda Mabena about seeking counsel and therapy. Now, before we get started, we would like to give the following sensitive content warning. This episode explores mental illness, self-harm, and mental health. So, when was your first realization, if you had one, that seeking counsel or seeking therapy was something that was going to be very helpful for you? In 2007, I dropped out of university. Uh-huh. I was at UCT uh-huh. and I went from university to a mental wellness hospital. That's where I was diagnosed with bipolar. Uh-huh. At those early stages, I, I, I didn't understand what was happening with my mind. At times I felt like I was possessed. Uh, some family members thought I needed to go for, you know, becoming a traditional healer. So I was having dreams and visions. Uh-huh. I couldn't make sense of it. And I was very young. And and so in that hospital, uh, that's when I started, you know, seeing psychologists and psychiatrists. And that, that opened up the door for me when it comes to understanding myself and my needs in terms of my mental health. And from then on, uh, whenever I would have any challenges, I would seek out the correct counsellor uh, to deal with whatever issue I'm having. So mm-hmm. if if I need psychological counselling, I'll see a psychologist. Uh, if I need Christian counselling, I'll see a Christian counsellor or mm-hmm. a pastor. Um, there was a time where I was having uh, career issues, so I saw a career coach. So I believe in seeing the right person for the right issue. And you can... You know, there's so much help out there. You don't have to be limited to to what your idea of counseling is. Yeah, you can be specific with what you're looking for. Look for them online. Make sure they have, you know, the qualifications and whatever it is that, you know, the spe- whatever they specialize in. Um, I've, I've really been a big advocate of going for counseling mm. in order to deal with your challenges. Yeah, you said something that struck a chord with me. So mm. when you were speaking about, you know, you taking the, the urgency into your own hands, you know, and you're the one that has to do the research and find the right kind of therapist or therapy or counsel that works for the situation that you are in and realizing that that will be a trial and error sometimes. But what I'm saying is that, what I'm hearing you say is that it's going to take work from your end. And I think that's what some some people don't understand. They don't understand that they also have to put in the work to find what's right for them. And a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to therapy, it's a journey. And it has to come to a conclusion. Right. You need, you need to reach a solution. Mm. You know, a good therapist will talk you through from beginning to end. Right. And then at the end will say, okay, so what are the action steps that we're going to take now because we're done? Mm. You know, mm. I don't think therapy should go on forever right. with the same therapist. Mm-hmm. A good therapist will say, okay, we've come to the end. What, what are the next action steps? And let's take it from there. You know, and then they can give you extended support outside of counseling, right? Um, your 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 usual weekly sessions, uh-huh. but it has to come to an end. You need to find that you've resolved your issues, right? 
Yes. Right. That's and very interesting. That's very interesting because I've, I've had five different counsellors for different things in my life and all of them weren't using the same kind of approach to therapy but I think hearing you say that it makes a lot of sense because they were helping me through a situation and helping me through whatever trauma it was that I was sat with that was showing itself on the surface you know in my everyday actions in the relationships that I was having I want to backtrack a little bit on your journey because there's something that I want to speak about. So when you were in UCT, the decision to go to therapy was your father's? It was my parents because um, when you have mental illness, it's always the perspective of people around you that witness, you know, what's going on with you. You don't see what's happening. Wow, sorry. Stop right there. Can you say that again? Because that is so amazing. It's the people around you that Mm. see the change in you. They can see that something's wrong. Mm. You don't see it Mm. because you think you're living your normal life, you know. Mm. And the thing with mental illness is that it's an ongoing struggle, I think, for life. Mm. Where you need to find the balance between these are normal emotions or these are emotions caused by mental illness. It's an ongoing battle. You Uh constantly have to question, okay, I'm feeling angry today. Is this a normal anger Uh or is it my bipolar acting up? So when I was in UCT, I think the people around me got concerned Uh with my behavior. And then my parents, my my father came to pick me up. And then I think they took me to church to speak to a counselor. And then the counselor recommended, no, she she needs to go into mental wellness center. So they were also searching for answers. And so at the time, it was sort of taboo for black people to be so open about mental illness. And so I think my parents were also searching for answers and trying to figure out what what to do with this. Different people had different opinions. My family in KZN felt like this girl needs to become a Sangoma, a traditional healer. Mm. She's going through this, the dreams, whatever. And my mother is a Christian and she does not believe in that traditional practices. What? She's very practical. She said, no, you need to go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up in hospital. How, how did it feel for you having the support of your, your family? You know, I always tell people that if I didn't take care of my health, I would be sleeping under a bridge, mm-hmm. probably homeless next to another homeless person. Mm-hmm. Support is so important and taking care of yourself mm-hmm. is so important. And I was fortunate to have that support, mm-hmm. you know. It was a journey we went on together with my mom trying to figure this thing out. It was tough for both of us, you know. Um, But we got there. And uh, and now I'm in a place where I have self-awareness and I've taken complete control of my health. And so for the last 14 years, I've been diligent in queuing in a public clinic every month, you know, getting medication. Public health system in South Africa is really not the best. The queues are long. You know, people are not getting the proper care. In 2019, there was a shortage of medication. And so I think I went to two clinics and a hospital, door-to-door knocking, asking for help to get medication. So you have to take control of the situation in order for you to to thrive and to 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 have some kind of normalcy mm. in your life. Tell me, what is it like for you when you meet someone and you guys are, you know, starting a relationship? Do you declare from the start? Do you tell them that you have bipolar or is that something that sort of comes on later on in the in the conversation? It comes later on in the conversation because I feel like I need to be comfortable around that person to share. Because it's not just about them. 
It's not about how they will react. You know, how do I feel mm. sharing this information with that person? Uh-huh. As time goes on, you know, as you start to get to know people and they start speaking about the issues, from my point of view, you know, living with depression, you know, this is how I handle the situation. And I found people... If I'm in a relationship, someone they're like, oh, okay, so I didn't really think of it as depression, or and then it's it's an opportunity to educate someone yeah. about about your condition. Yeah. Um, I've never had anyone in a romantic relationship reject me right. for having mental illness. I've just found people who don't really know me can reject me. I think because there are so many misconceptions, uh, stereotyping, you know, bipolar people are crazy, they uh, smash windows, uh, um, you know, they fight and they bite you. And, you know, so it's complete strangers who who sort of put up that wall. Not all of them, some of them put up that wall and say, OK, I'm not going to associate myself. And that could come from a place where they have experienced someone with bipolar, a different kind of bipolar who was aggressive. But the problem is that a lot of people misdiagnose people. Mm. You know, some people say, oh, she's bipolar because, you know, she's crazy. She smashed my windows. People misdiagnose people. Mm-hmm. And so when they, if, if someone comes to me and rejects me when I say I have bipolar, it's whatever preconceived ideas they have, which probably comes from misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, right. which probably comes from their personal experience as mm-hmm. well. You know, so people just brush people with, who have bipolar with one one big stroke. Right. You know, as crazy people who are erratic and violent and Uh this and that. And that is a missed opportunity to actually get to know me. Right. You know, get information Uh and, and, and say, okay, actually, I can identify this within myself. I think I need treatment. Right. Or I can identify this in my brother. I, I'm going to recommend treatment. So, yeah, people that I'm in a relationship with, I take time before I, I tell them uh-huh. and introduce these ideas to them. And some people who don't know me are just quick to reject and right. say, this is not for me. The act of having awareness of things is so important and so key, you know, because if I look back on, like, my what I can call now erratic behavior. At the time, I didn't have the self-awareness to be reflective of my actions. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, one time I'm really happy and then one time I'm really sad. I just thought that that was what life was because that was my experience of it. And because I never spoke about it and I never questioned it, it felt like it was normal. You know, to have like really extreme highs, but like being so happy that you don't even know what to do with yourself. Like the joy is like coming out of your skin, you know, for like two, three days. And then just being like really sad isn't even the word, you know, just like not wanting to get out of bed, not really eating, not really taking care of myself, you know, not wanting to have conversations with family, friends. For me, a lot of alcohol was also involved. I I just assumed that that was what life was like. But it was maybe like my early 20s, you know. I also don't have a good, my memory is really bad. Like I've got ways of like blocking things out you know but I know that something psychologically has happened in my head where I've just got 
blanks, like long years of just being like, what, what happened, happened then? there? Where mm. was I? Who was I with? Was I taking care of myself? Because I was on autopilot and I wasn't present, it's really hard to remember those times in my life. If I think of a time where I can, in hindsight, be like, that was a red flag for me, was when I was like, I wanted to check if I was still alive because I wasn't feeling anything. So I turned on the oven and I put my hand in to just feel my skin burn underneath. And then I was like, oh, okay, ouch. <laughs> I'm obviously still alive because mm-hmm. that hurts. And then I went and I told my mom what I just done. And she was like, you need help. Mm-hmm. Like you need to go speak to someone because mm-hmm. like you were saying, to you, it seems normal. But the people outside of you, mm-hmm. when I told her that, she was like, exactly. this is not, this is not right. And uh, you know what you were saying about how you're feeling? Is it normal? I mean, you know, is it normal to be sad? Um, there's a book that I read mm. by Bonnie Hannah called I Bags and Dimples. And when I first started to grapple with my mental illness, uh, she talks about having depression. And the line that stuck to me was that as black people who grow up, in the townships, our lives are supposed to be struggle. So when you say to a black person, I have depression, it's like, what does that mean? Right. You know, where's the space for this all depression? Yes. You know, we need to carry our baggage on our shoulders and move on. Right. Life is hard. Mm. And that's why they say, you know, depression and mental illness are diseases for white people. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's white people's problems. problems. Because as blacks, we just have to accept our suffering. Right. Our parents suffered. Mm. You know, our our grandparents suffered. They really lived difficult lives of poverty. And so if you're depressed, it's a luxury. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that really, really impacted me. I was also like you, when you talk about memory, there are periods of my life that I don't remember. Right. Like you, I was just cruising mm-hmm. on autopilot. Those periods with bipolar 2 are mania. When you're manic, I am cruising, I am happy. With bipolar 2, you go through extreme periods of happiness and extreme periods of sadness, of depression. When I'm in my manic state, I can conquer the world. Anything is possible. And I'm reckless. <laughs> I know. You know? I can relate. I'm untouchable. It's right. by God's grace that I didn't take drugs, heavy uh, drugs. I, I smoked weed, uh-huh. which, you know, made it even worse. So not just the bipolar, the, the weed and the borderline personality disorder. Right. So when you have borderline personality disorder, you believe that people are out to harm you. Wow. Right? Okay. You believe that I was convinced that someone was trying to kill me. And so a couple that borderline personality disorder, the fear of someone is trying to harm you and the fear of rejection. Mm. Now add weed into that. Into that mix. And we laugh that, oh, you know, when I smoke weed, I'm paranoid, you know? Right. It's really a dangerous combination. Mm-hmm. It's usually a, a combination of things because the first time I went into hospital from UCT to hospital in 2007, mm-hmm. That was my first diagnosis, but with bipolar, I think over time, I mean, I've heard, but it also happened to me. Uh It takes a couple of situations and circumstances and treatments before you really nail what the problem is. So what I got the first time in hospital just covered the bipolar, and then I got sick again. My last 
time I was in hospital was in 2013. Mm. I was at an academic hospital called Tara. It's a, it's a mental wellness hospital. So it was there when I had that intensive care, mm. you know, because I was there for two months. Round the clock, dietitians, psychologists, psychiatrists, occupational therapists. That's when they finally nailed what the problem was. Wow. Which was bipolar 2, borderline personality disorder and depression. So if you're on this journey of mental wellness, you really need to be open to understanding that you will go through more challenges um, and it will take time Uh. to really figure out what it is that is happening in your mind. Uh. You know, you have to be patient. You can't be frustrated. You have to allow the process to take place. When you're having breakdowns and you're going into hospital, it's scary when it happens and you feel like your life is coming to an end. But you have to allow that. Don't fight the process. Allow the process to take its course if you genuinely want to heal and to be better and to have control over your mental illness. Wow. For me, I don't know why, but I've always had a blockage against taking pills. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, no matter who I saw, even if they were like, try this antidepressant, I was like, I don't want, I can figure it out. I can figure it out by myself. I don't want to take pills. I don't want to do all of these things. Because I think for me, it's like a fear of control, right? Because as soon as I take that, I don't have control over what it's going to do your body. to my mind, to mind. let alone my body. I, I exist as a spiritual being. My, my body holds me, mm-hmm. but what I'm more concerned about is my spirit, mm-hmm. is my, my mind, is my soul. So I've always just been like, don't give me that shit. I don't want, <laughs> yeah. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And I still stand to that today. And you know what? It probably is a hindrance and it probably, you know, I, I could have been much further down my journey. You know, I have friends that check themselves into a mental wellness center. Right. They don't wait. No. You know, a friend of mine will say, I've had a rough year. Work has been intense. I feel like I'm going to have a breakdown. I'm going to check myself into hospital. Wow. And just sort it out. Mm. Don't wait for the crash to happen. Find Everybody's it. crash is different. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. alcoholics say you hit rock bottom. Right. And everyone's rock bottom is different. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to mental illness, mm-hmm. you hit a rock bottom. And that's where you have to stand up and work and, um, and try and get the help that you can get. Yeah. And... One of the things one of my one of my therapists told me was that um, the thing that switched my brain to I need to be independent and to take responsibility for my life mm. is when she said to me, "These are not happy pills. Right. These are not happy pills. You need to do the work. Mm. Can't take a pill today and feel amazing tomorrow. You have to do the work. You have to determine life is for yourself." Yeah, you know, and take responsibility. Yeah. No, I'm definitely all for like the work. The work part, I'm like, yes, I can do this. You know, like when I feel things aren't right, I'm like, I need to go back to therapy or I have to do this. But that has been a journey for me to get there, you know? And sometimes I don't get it right. I think it was about two years ago, maybe two years ago, three years ago, I come home and I was under the impression that everything was completely fine. And my mom and my sister, my brother, uh, my one brother sat me, sat me down and they were like, you're not okay. And I was like, what do you mean? Everything's okay. They were like, no, you go from zero to a hundred in 3.0, you know, and your anger, you know, for me, it was like, that was an indicator. That was like a, 
step to the crash, you know? And I hadn't seen it. I was, well, I thought this was normal. Mm. And by that, I mean my normal. And because we had had a conversation a couple of years prior to that, where you had said to me, you know, when the people that love you and care about you, when they say something, when you hear it more than once, listen to them, you know, because I can get easily offensive. Like, why? They're against me. Do you know what I mean? It's all of them against me. They're the ones that are unstable. It's always other people. And I didn't want to take the responsibility for it. Because we had had that conversation years prior to my family having that conversation with me, I was like, I'm going to listen to them, Mm. right? Because even though I have, I understand myself and I've been on this journey with myself for a very long time, that sometimes I won't always know and I have to trust in the people around me mm-hmm. to be able to be like mm, something ain't right I'm so glad that we're talking about anger because that's one of the, the things when we spoke about misdiagnosing people and people are saying oh bipolar people crashing smashing doors and that could be someone with an anger issue doesn't necessarily mean they're bipolar that's why if you really feel like someone has a problem you can intervene mm-hmm. you can suggest that they go for therapy mm-hmm. And then, you know, a psychiatrist will determine what exactly it is that they're dealing with. The other thing you were talking about, the discussion we had a couple of years ago when I said people around you, they keep saying the same thing, you need to listen. An experience that I had for me was when my psychiatrist, you know, I I would go to psychiatry. I thought I had my life under control. I'm going to psychiatry, therapy and... I'm a hot journalist. I'm working at a great newspaper. I'm fantastic. So I'd walk in there. I'd be a bundle of joy trying to convince him how amazing I am. Right. And then he said to me, listen, I can't figure out what your problem is. Can you please bring your mother Uh, into therapy? You're hiding it. You live with your mother. Yeah. It was the two of us. Uh So he said, bring your mother. Let me hear from her side. Wow. And sitting there, listening to my mother describe me to my doctor was such a shock. I didn't know notice these things she she saw things people see things that you don't see so that's one thing i would recommend if you go for therapy and you're trying to figure out what the problem is get support from family and take someone with you someone who knows you someone who lives with you someone who can help you put everything into perspective because i learned so many things about myself you know Mm. i thought i was this fantastic human being that you are Thank you. No, but I mean, when I went to see my psychiatrist, I thought, ah, I'm a, you know, amazing hotshot journalist doing all these amazing things. Nothing is wrong with me. I'm fantastic. And to sit there and listen to my mother just open up. The therapy is not just about me because your behavior affects the people around you. Uh And those people probably need therapy too, you know? Uh And when I came out of that, I first felt betrayed. Right, the anger, the defense, the defense mechanism. How could you do this? How could you say that about me? And then I was like, no, it's my doctor. She's trying to help me. Then I had to accept, like, okay, Mm. you need to listen to the people around you. For a long time, I felt there was no space for my sadness. There was no space for my depression. There was no space for it. But there's always space for the fun times, the the fun Rutani that's you know supportive and helpful. And how can I help you? And I exercised her. you know, she's buff <laughs> in my head when I see her or fit because I've exercised her to a point where I can do this and she's in the room. This is a problem that I've had for most of my adult life. Mental illness in the workplace. Is it acceptable to have a breakdown and cry mm. at lunchtime? Right. You know? Is it acceptable to open up about deep things to your colleagues? Mm. You know, Is it safe? I've experienced bullying. 
mm. in the workplace. It's it's really been something that I've struggled with. Mm. Where is it a safe space to talk about your problems? Mm. Where you will feel accepted, where you it will not be used against you. Mm. And that's for me has always been in the workplace. I still to this day don't know how to navigate it. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if workspaces had areas where your employees could go to speak? to people who are qualified because that's the other thing that you need to talk to someone who's qualified in order to support you and hold the space for you yeah. and I think workplaces really need to start investing in the mental wellness of their employees look I, I hear what you're saying and the thing about work look a lot of companies do have company wellness programs and whatever the problem for me with mental illness in the workplace is the constant human interaction right because everyone's personalities are so everyone's different. Everyone's personalities are different. I don't know how people should treat me. I don't know how I, I don't know how I should be treating people. It's a lot. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it really, really is a lot. Our company tries to get everyone to open up. I told you about one of our campaigns where we tell our stories. Yeah. And, you know, they try and get everyone to open up so you can see where they come from, their background, understand their thinking. And I use that as an opportunity to talk a little bit about my mental illness yeah even in an intimate relationship it's a delicate balance right because it's like okay which ayanda am i talking to now you know Mm. am i talking to ayanda the the bipolar person or am i talking to which ayanda are we handling today so relationships will always always be a challenge and you always have to juggle you know, those relationships with, mm-hmm. with your mental health. Right. And I, I don't know if I'll ever get it right. Yeah, I mean, look, because I I haven't been, I've been too afraid to go and have someone tell me what it is that I have. Whether it's depression, a little bit of bipolar, a little bit of, I'm just like, <laughs> God guide me. <laughs> God, <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Uh-uh, I don't want pills, I don't want it. So... <laughs> So I've, I haven't ever approached a relationship and I'm really glad that we've had this conversation because I think now when I do meet someone, I'm going to have that conversation because I feel like a lot of my relationships unravel because they start to see the, the really depressed Zani and they're like, who's, who's this, this person? Yeah. You know, you're fun, you're bubbly. Now you're not getting out of bed. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, is it something mm-hmm. I've done? And then there isn't anything more draining personally for me when I'm going through let's call it a season when I'm going through a season of uh, depression when the person wants to say it's about me don't make it about you do you know what I mean or I've I've done something wrong and I've made you now you're not doing because then you're forcing me to handle your issues and your feelings and I've always been like you know these people aren't supportive but I haven't told them we haven't had the conversation they don't expect to meet the person that has the challenges of waking up of why do I exist so I can imagine seeing those actions makes me look very erratic yeah and I I think that is the test for relationships I I, I can't remember it was an Instagram post of a 
you know, those hip, you know, those poetic posts and, and it rang so true. I think they were quoting Tyler Perry where he was saying something about you need to see someone in all their seasons. Right. You know, you need to see them when they're happy. Yeah. You need to see them when they're sad. You need to see them when they're angry. Mm-hmm. You need to see them when they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to go through all of that. Everything. So I also get frustrated with my relationships where I get stuck in a season mm-hmm. and it causes a breakup. Right. You know, and then I'm like, like, okay, we really didn't even make an effort here to, to get to know each other. But there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes you cannot be emotionally available when that person is in that season. Right. If your partner is in a season of sadness, maybe I'm not in the right space to provide that kind of support. But your partner can't provide everything for, for you, you all as the well. time, you know? Exactly. So it needs to be able to, you need to be able to have that conversation and have that acceptance if your partner's like, right now, I am not capable of holding you. Exactly. So what other support structures Do you can have? we pull into yes. place to make sure that you feel supported? A lot of the times, it's like, well, I can't help you, so what two now must happen? Exactly. And it's like, no, you can help. You can help by A, saying your truth, I can't right now. And then what can we do? Should you go back into counseling? Who are your friends that you have around you? Mm. Help me. Don't just stand there and be like, well, I can't help you, so good luck. I mean, for me, I really understand. I mean, when I look at the journey I went through with my mom, uh, you know, just trying to figure out my illness and what to do. I think it can be heavy for some people. I think I can be a difficult person to be around when I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. And I can understand if someone doesn't want to carry that burden. Definitely. It can be, it can be very intense. Mm -hmm. And Support, family support is so important Mm. in in those times. Therapy is important in those times. But one of my biggest fears actually after we had this conversation is that I'll always be alone. Will I never be able to find someone who can handle, you know, Ayanda when she's going through her her down period and, you know, Mm. and will will I always be too much of a burden to someone else? That's very painful thought to have. Mm. And that makes me constantly look at my previous relationships, failed relationships. I can see clearly where the guy was wrong in the situation. And then I can see clearly where I was wrong. But also constantly at the back of my mind thinking, will I ever be able to find someone who can handle the complexities that come with me as a person living with mental illness? Ayanda. Mm. Thank you for allowing us into your heart, into your home, and into your spirit. We are aware that this episode may have been triggering. If you require support, we would like to direct you to the Zoe Health website, where you can book online therapy sessions. That is www.zoe.health. To our listeners, Thank you for taking the time to listen to Basadi, Black Woman in Conversation. Sending love, light, and blessings.